Absolutely. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but injury is a is an acute precursor in, in a lot of cases to depression in student athletes. And you know, it's it's because so much of our identity is tied up in our athletic identity, or the the athletic part of ourselves. That when that all of a sudden is taken away from us, we often feel lost, and there's a huge void there. And um, and unfortunately, uh, I can speak for myself, and I think a lot of other current and former student athletes. You know, we we don't we tend not to round out our our personas, our our beings beyond the athletic field. And so when that's taken away, it's it's really hard. This is Vince Sonson, CEO and founder of Balance Position, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I'm excited to bring you Vince Sonson, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Balance Position. Uh, Vince battled with depression as a student athlete at Yale University in the 1990s, which inspired him to launch Balance Position, whose mission is to empower student athletes to achieve and maintain optimal mental wellness so they can perform their best on the field, in the classroom, and in life. So Vince, thanks for coming on the podcast today. And can you start off by kind of telling your own personal story uh, in dealing with depression and then kind of how that led to the idea for Balance Position? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Um, it's great work you're doing, so I'm happy to participate. Thanks. Yeah, um, yeah so um, I first encountered depression um, in a significant way when I was a student athlete at Yale University in the early 1990s. And the way I, I always describe it is um, it's kind of like it, I was a high-speed train, right? So I'm going down the track you don't even realize you're going 200 miles an hour when everything's going right. Because after all, we were all high performing student athletes. Um, and it's just how we were, right? It was our reality. But, uh, as soon as you start to wobble a little bit, right on those tracks, you do get the sense of, wow, I'm going really fast. Things are moving fast around me. And if you're not able to correct quickly, um, and sort of get back up on the track smoothly, you risk falling off. And that's what happened to me. I fell off and it's like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're laying there unable to move, kind of watching all these other trains go past you at 200 miles an hour, not being able to do anything about it. And it was extremely frustrating, um, among other things. Okay. What was like your wobble? You said you wobble on the track. So for you, what was the wobble that kind of slowed you down? Yeah, great question. I think for me, it was really um, sort of negative uh, self, self-thought self around my performance. And a lot of that is imagined, right? But so much pressure on myself to succeed um, and perform at levels that I had performed throughout my life. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in an environment where everyone else around me uh, came from the same background. And uh, if you don't really have that, that great sense of self and that mindful presence, um, you know, you, you really risk sort of having that self-doubt. And and for me, that's what happened, and it just sort of spiraled from there. 
So, I, I mean, that's probably something that every single you know Division one athlete, or for the most, I would say ninety nine percent of you know college athletes deal with that level of doubt because you go from being the guy or the girl in high school to being one of you know in football terms like a hundred other people who are the guy or you know on their team so it's probably more common than we think so do you know any like what are the stats on depression in athletes that you know kind of made you think that there's like a, a need for for balance position yeah it's uh it's a great question there you know the the, the occurrence of, of depression and anxiety and other mental illness in student athletes versus the regular student body population is, you know, depending on which study and research you're looking at, uh, you know, fairly negligent in terms of the difference one way or another. Um, the, there are a couple things, though, that are different about student athletes than the rest of the student body. One is the, the, the likelihood that they're actually going to acknowledge that there's a problem and seek help, right? So there's a, there's a great um, program out of University of Michigan, Michigan called Athletes Connected. Uh, they, don't, they do some wonderful work, and they've reported that as, as few as 10%, one in 10 student athletes will ever actually seek help um, for depression, anxiety, et cetera. The other piece that's unique to student athletes is the injury component. And let's say if we say that, you know, the occurrence of depression in student athletes is one in four uh, generally when when injury is present, that goes up to over 50 percent. So that's a very significant uh, trigger for student athletes and one that, um, you know, with my current work with balance position, we keep very close track of. Okay. Um, I guess, I mean, I could definitely see that, which is why I kind of started the podcast because I've been in that situation too before with, with the injury side. Um, and it kind of is like literally you're a broken train watching all these other trains fly by you. So I think your analogy of the train was, was perfect in that scenario. So can you kind of, yeah, before we get too far and people are like, what the hell is balance position when we're talking about it? Can you explain like what you have been creating? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before uh, before I do that, I'll also mention that I was a football player, right, um, in, in college and, um, you know, did have a significant number of concussions. And, you know, um, I don't want to get into a, a sort of I don't want to make this discussion all about concussion and CTE and what that means to, to athletes. That's obviously a hot topic right now. Certainly relevant. But, yep. <laughs> Yeah, I think it is relevant because I think that uh, having brain trauma um, as a student athlete, as a football player, also contributed to um, some of that depression and anxiety. And, and again, all the other uh, elements that we just discussed contributed to it. So a lot of different factors there. Um, balance position, um, we are, you know, we're, it's very simple what we are. We're providing student athletes and members of their support network with guided pathways on what they can be doing at any moment in time to optimize their mental wellness. To, as, and as you mentioned before, so they can perform their best on the field, in the classroom, and in life. And that sounds really simple, and, and that's what's beautiful about it, is we make it very simple for the user, but it's actually quite complex what we're doing in the background. We're, so it's, it's technology. Um, we're developing an app, and it's, it's uh, gonna be available in production here in the fall. Um, 
but the, the, the app is going to monitor just a few behaviors and data points uh, of student athletes on a, day, on a daily basis. And based on that information, we're going to be able to, you know, quote unquote, prescribe or provide guidance to them about what they can be doing um, to get themselves in a better uh, state of mind so they can be their best. And, you know, that guidance includes everything from practicing mindfulness, something that I wish I had access to when I was a student athlete, you know, 20 plus years ago, to connecting with people in their support network to finding other resources that are available to them, um, you, know, you know, throughout the, the college, the, the community, uh, as well as more nationally. So, you know, that's what we're doing. What we've heard is from student athletes is, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that we can look at that show me how well I slept or show me how well I, uh, I've been eating or poorly I've been eating um, and, and, and other kinds of sort of singular data points but what's lacking is something that can synthesize all of that information and give me a, a picture in real time about how I'm doing and more importantly, what should I be doing? What kinds of things should I be doing to make sure I'm putting myself in the best position to have optimal mental wellness? Okay, so just so I, I understand correctly, so there's like a series of questions or like is it like a diagnostic tool of like you answer a certain question this way, like you might have like clinical depression and you should seek help or like I guess how how does the athlete interact with the app to, you know, get these prescriptions? Yeah, yeah, and, and I want to be real careful to point out that we are specifically not a diagnostic tool. We're not in any position to say, hey, based on what we're observing, we think that you have bipolar disorder or um, an eating disorder or anything like that. All we're doing is is basically saying, on based on our own experience, my whole team um, is made up of former collegiate student-athletes, and we've all had experiences with uh, different types, degrees of, of mental illness um, throughout that experience. So based on that and based on research that we've done, all we're saying is, hey, we want to raise a red flag when we think that things are trending in the wrong direction. Uh, make sure that you're connecting with the right people. Make sure that the folks that are around you are all informed. And then also put tools and guidance in your hand to hopefully stave off um, any potential negative trend and put you back in a position of, of being able to have a, a, a healthy mind. And uh, the way the NCA talks about mental health is they, they talk about it in a continuum, right? So if you think of on, on the far right side is where you're thriving, right? You're in, you're in optimal mental health. On the far left side, you're, you're languishing, right? And what we want to do is make sure that we're pushing you as far, helping to push you as far to the right side of that, of that continuum as possible. Okay. Um, and I guess like, how are the, the athletes prompted? Like they just ask, they're, they're asked to answer daily questions or is there like notifications that pop up on, on their phone? There's like, all right, yeah, like, you know, what'd you eat for lunch this morning or for whatever? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so and we've done a ton of user research um, in, in uh, I don't want to say my former life, my current life as well. 
I've spent my entire career in the commercial software industry. And um, a while ago, I realized that if, if I'm going to develop great software, I need to learn how to get out with users and talk to them and make sure I'm understanding what it is ex they exactly need. Um, so we have been engaged with uh, a great uh, focus group of student athletes throughout this process. But w and the reason I say that is one of the biggest risks that I thought we had when we embarked on this journey was, well, if we can't collect data automatically from Fitbits and other kinds of what we call um, internet-enabled devices or, or inter Internet of Things devices, IoT, like if we can't collect that data automatically, then we're not going to get any adoption of this product. And so we wanted to go out and test that assumption pretty quickly. And fortunately, um, what we found was student athletes said, no, we really actually want to sit down and engage with an app like this at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, and reflect on what's going on in our lives. And so um, to answer your question, initially, it will all be manual data entry. So we have limited the amount of data that we want them to, um, to record on a daily basis to a few data points. They'll go in, uh, you know, obviously we'll make it as user-friendly as, as possible for them to go in and very quickly record that data. And based on that, um, we'll be able to track and trend. And, and really, you know, I'm so fortunate. I have a um, a member of our team who's our data scientist, he's a Harvard MIT trained guy, worked for NASA actually at one point, and uh, he's going to be taking that data using sort of artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques to really identify over time each individual's trend and what their normal is and be able to, to pick out, okay, when is somebody really trending in the wrong direction? Okay. And is it like a multiple choice type thing? Like, I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, do they have to type it? Are they speaking into something? You know, like, what's like the time commitment, yeah. you know, to to interacting with it? Yeah, yeah. I, I love where you're going with it. So, yeah, literally two to five minutes. So we use what we call a Likert scale for most of the questions, which just basically means, um, you know, you got five choices, three or five choices and small, medium, large kind of thing. Um so not spending a lot of time with it. Um, we do also actually give them the ability to make notes um, about each of those data points if they choose to. Um, we have a journaling feature that's included in the product. So, you know, they can record, they can reflect on their day in a more general sense or um, if they want to talk specifically about their sleep or diet or concentration level or things like that, they can do that. Okay. And the other thing I'm kind of curious about is like, does someone who has depression or is just struggling with depression, do they always like know that they have depression or is it kind of something that like goes under the radar and like, how would they know to even seek out your app? You know, unless like a coach or a sports psychologist, a team sports psychologist or someone is like telling them to, to use it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, part of that falls on us from a marketing standpoint, right? And making sure we're getting the message out there that the that the app is available. But uh, you're absolutely right. There, there are so many student athletes um, out there, and I think I include myself in that group. That you don't even realize that you're um, teetering on the edge of a clinical depressive event um, or anxiety or eating disorder because you're so busy, right? And uh, often you don't 
acknowledge it until it's too late. So one of the things we've heard from our users is, yeah, this is fantastic because it kind of, it's sort of like um, uh, my guardian angel looking over my shoulder and keeping track of things for me when I might not be able to, um, as well as for the people in the support network. So it gives them the opportunity to step in and say, Hey, you know, things we we might want to take a look at this. There, there's something that that looks like it might be a mess. And again, I go back to if if we can if we can stave off a significant negative mental health event um, for a student athlete, and going back to the train analogy, help them get back on track when they're wobbling before they fall off. That's exactly what it is we're trying to do. Okay, cool. Um, kind of along the same lines. I feel like there's a, there's definitely a stigma associated with depression, and especially in high performing athletes, it's definitely you know it could be seen as a weakness. So, what are your thoughts on that kind of idea? You know, obviously, we wouldn't be talking yeah. here on this podcast if we actually believed that that was true. But like, what would you say to an athlete who has that mindset? Yeah, one, it's unfortunate. One, um, I, I guess I'm encouraged that as we sit here in 2017, I think we've come a long way from where we were in the early 1990s in terms of eradicating that stigma. But, you know, the stigma still exists. And, I mean, it's so embedded into our culture. I mean, even at a governmental and sort of um, healthcare level, the fact that we talk about uh, behavioral health is different from physical health. And we draw that distinction just, I mean, it really puts us in a tough position um, as, a, as a general populace to try to eradicate it. But um, our goal is to help chip away at that stigma. And, and one of the things that we do at Balanced Position, besides developing technology, is, um, try to, is we share stories. So we try to promote through different kinds of community outreach and, and, and story sharing that, hey, there are a lot of people that are dealing with this and it's okay to talk about it. In fact, it's better to talk about it than not. Um, but the stigma is still there. Um, it's unfortunate. It's, it's more prevalent in, in, uh, uh, the sports culture, um, or prevalent might be the wrong word. Um, more oppressive, right? It's, it's, it's more of a burden for sure. Uh, we, you know, we still talk about, being able to tough it out uh, as an athlete, you know, get past it. Um, and, and unfortunately, uh, there, are, uh, there are diseases, there are injuries that we sustain as athletes, whether they're mental or physical, that you just can't. I mean, you've got an ACL tear, you can't just tough your way through it. And um, that's true with some behavioral challenges as well. Okay. Uh, kind of while we're on the topic of injuries, let's get back to your athlete story. And and I have checked out your website, and you said that you kind of talked about that community aspect to it, and how other people have you know these these same issues. And some of the stories that are on your website of other athletes who have struggled with depression are, have been amazing. And I'd love to kind of you know highlight some of their stories as well in collaboration with this episode. I think that'd be a kind of a cool thing to highlight. Great. But for your story, you know, you were at Yale, you were playing football, and you, you remember you said you dealt with some concussion stuff. So what, what position did you play uh, with the football team? Believe it or not, back then I was uh, a corner back, right? Okay. So I okay. was thinner uh, and, and a lot faster than I am now. 
But, and then I, I also actually moved to safety uh, as well, so defensive back. All right. So do you recall some of the concussions that you sustained? And, you know, do you remember, like, having an immediate, you know, symptom of, like, depression? Or, like, how did – like, what were your depression symptoms after that? Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't – you know, it, concussion is an interesting thing, right? A lot of people, I think, that – are not athletes or have not experienced a concussion think that there's this moment where you hit your head, you see birds flying around and stars and, you know, you, you know that you've just been concussed. Um, it's, it's not always that easy. There's a lot of nuance and, and a lot of the research that, uh, uh, that I've read around CTE and, and concussion is, um, you, you know, it's a, it's an accumulation of sub concussive hits, um, that, that can uh, have a negative impact as well. So, uh, there, there weren't, a, let me just say that I, I don't know that I was able to even count the number of concussions I had because I wasn't sure what the symptoms were. The, what we've learned now is the symptomatology of concussion can be similar to symptomatology of, of mental illness, um, and specifically around depression. So one of the things that we hope with our app, and again, no scientific sort of proof here from a diagnostic standpoint, but what we're hoping is there, there may be a lot of concussions and subconcussive damage that goes unnoticed in student athletes that by using our app, we might be able to say, hey, over time, there may be, a, there may be something that was missed here. Um, and maybe there's an opportunity to go back and speak with the team physicians and, and other folks and say, perhaps was let's go back and think, was there a concussion that might have happened? And if so, let's try to address it so there's not a second impact syndrome or second or third concussion, which, again, based on my understanding, um, it, it, those are, are the most damaging when you get back into sport um, and, and uh, before a concussion is actually healed. All right, so you don't remember like ever missing games or something like for for a concussion or anything like that? No, you know, it was like, just suck it up. Again, this is the early 1990s. It was the era of, yeah, you got your bell rung, you know, go shake it off, get back in there. And, um, yeah, that that was it, unfortunately. Yeah, that was prominent even when, when I played too. But yeah. so did you, would you ever experience any other injuries, like non-brain related? Non-brain related. Yeah, man, I'm like, a, a, I think I could have been an orthopedic surgeon by now, um, just with all the knowledge that I've gained from hearing doctors describe my own injuries. But um, torn MCL, ACL, um, dislocated elbow, um, dislocated shoulder. Uh, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on, right? We all. Is that all from us, playing football or wh- wh- how did you get those injuries? Yeah, the only not uh, excuse me, the only non-football in, significant injury that I had. I, I also played baseball at Yale, and I was a pitcher, um, left-handed pitcher, and uh, I um, I tore my UCL, I think is what it is, the ulnar collateral ligament. Yeah, it's um, the Tommy John the, ligament. The Tommy John ligament, and I did not have the Tommy John surgery, but I missed an, uh, a season of playing, unfortunately, because of it. All right, so. Being a dual sport athlete, I mean, that puts pressure on you enough as it is, but how did you, do you think that these injuries that you sustained 
kind of had a lot to do with the depression, the onset of the depression that you dealt with? Absolutely. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but injury is a, is an acute precursor in, in a lot of cases to depression, um, in student athletes. And, you know, it's, it's because so much of our identity is tied up in, uh, our athletic, uh, identity or the, the athletic part of ourselves that when that all of a sudden is taken away from us, we often feel lost and there's a huge void there. And, um, and unfortunately, uh, I can speak for myself and I think a lot of other current and former student athletes, you know, we, we don't, we tend not to round out our, our personas, our, our beings beyond the athletic field. And so when that's taken away, it's, it's really hard. So you're saying that you didn't have any like hobbies on the side or anything like that. You kind of just soaked it, yeah. soaked in the misery. That was it, man. There was like, I, I'm not a musician, uh, or wasn't an artist. Um, I've taken up gardening lately, but I wasn't a gardener back then. <laughs> back so. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, did you have depression like the moment you stepped onto the Yale campus or like intermittently up and down? Like, I guess, when did you realize like you needed help with something like something was definitely wrong? Yeah. Um, wow. It, it, uh, it took a lot. Um, I mean, I think I knew in my mind that, that things were, um, things were not right you know, based on that, again, going back to that analogy, I used to be in that, that high speed train, but with the stigma, with the, the, the sort of the burden that I was, uh, that I bore in terms of, you know, having this fairy tale life and all these folks back home that, um, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to an Ivy league school. Um, so, I just couldn't admit it. I couldn't come to admit that I needed help. And so it got to a point where, uh, by the time I needed the help, I was failing classes. I was missing practice. Um, and it was, it was so obvious to everybody that, uh, I didn't even have to bring it up. People, other people brought it up to me. So you're doing things like out of the ordinary for you that kind of, that were kind of like triggers to other people that something needed to be addressed. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The dean of my college. Um, you know, it was interesting too. Friends and teammates. Um, I think they had a sense as well that that something was uh, amiss. But um, especially on the teammate side, they again that culture of of, of uh, athleticism of just toughing it out and not really talking about your feelings. I think they shied away from um, having those tough conversations with me and. Um, yeah, it's just such a high achieving environment up there at Yale that uh, I guess folks just didn't want to take the time or didn't feel like they had to. So, all right. So, do you have any like? Do you wish that you did a certain like? What's your advice to athletes who are dealing with injuries? You know, at the moment, you know, like, what do you wish that you had done that you that could might have prevented? Uh, you know, those bouts of depression may be induced by the injuries, maybe not, but like, is there anything that you wish that you had practiced, uh, then that you now know about now and maybe have implemented into the, uh, balance yeah. position app? 
Yeah. Um, you know, for me, this whole, this whole um, concept realm of uh, mindfulness, um, so uh, mindfulness meditation uh, is something that I, I really wish I had available to me. Having that ability to be present in the moment, fully aware, for me is something that would help me tremendously. Um, because, you know, when, when you, re- and I'm still practicing it myself, right? So I've, I've just learned about mindfulness, but it, that, that ability to not bear that weight of what anybody else thinks about you or what you should be doing or what's happened in the past, the last play, the last pitch, that is, that's such a great feeling to just shed that and say, here I am. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to the situation based on the circumstances that I'm in, and and not bear that weight. So that that's what I really would have liked to have had available to me. Um, and then uh, another thing is I, I really would have liked to have um, taken up some other kind of hobby that that was non-sports related. Like before you even got hurt, or before you even had a depression. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah I just think that. I put so much pressure on myself um, and so much stock in being an athlete uh, that uh, it just became, it was too much to bear, frankly. And people might say, well, you were at Yale, you know, I mean, you had to have known that you weren't going to be a professional athlete. Well, yes and no. Actually, some of my buddies at Yale went on to play professional sports. So, um, and, and I'm sure a lot of other people can relate to this. You always, when you're a competitive athlete and you're, and you're a high achiever, you do think that you can continue playing and excel at, at whatever level. And so, um, I did not have that awareness back at, at, uh, at, at you know, in my late teens, early twenties. That yeah, at some point, I'm going to have to do something other than play sports and go to school. Right, and I think a lot of going into having a hobby on the outside, like that's a way to almost practice mindfulness in itself because it's a way to kind of immerse yourself in something where you're not thinking about, you know, striking out in the, in your last at bat, or you're not thinking about the game that's coming up. Like you're just kind of present in the moment doing what you're, what you're doing. For me, that used to be like fishing. I used to go fishing during the football season. Uh, and that was like my escape for like a couple hours where I didn't have to think about anything. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I just didn't have any like that, but yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. So what are the major differences between mental pain and physical pain? And then what are the similarities? Yeah. Um, I think the differences are more in the manifestation, right? And that physical pain is something that can, can be observed, that you can see with your eyes. And, and mental pain, um, other folks can't see it. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh well, when, when folks can see the expression of mental pain, it's, it's often in very um, extreme and, and, and sad, sad ways. But I think that's, that feeds into the stigma, into the problem of, of being able to think of physical and mental health as one whole and one continuum, continuum as, as opposed to separate things. So I'd say that's the, the biggest um, difference. Um, I think from a similarity perspective, um, I think that if if treated in a timely and appropriate way, both physical and mental ailments can be 
minimized in terms of their damage and, and sort of uh, managed and overcome much more effectively and efficiently. Um, but it really, it really comes down to one, the ability to identify and accept and two, um, get the right treatment. Right. And I kind of just had the thought of, you know, there's a lot of, sometimes it's like too late. Like a lot of times in the news, you hear about athletes who obviously were fighting demons, you know, in their head and no one knew about it until it's too late and you can't help them anymore because they took their own life or whatever when we're on the topic of CTE and concussions and stuff like that. Like, I guess, what, like, what are your, do you have any thoughts on that? Like in terms of like talking to an athlete who might be having those thoughts, but hasn't voiced them or, or taken action against those yet. Uh, what do you mean by that? Like, I guess like, it's hard to talk about, you know, athletes committing suicide because the, one who's yeah. com- the ones who commit suicide aren't here to, to say why they talk did it. it. You know, like what got them to that point? What set them over the edge? What made their story or what they were telling themselves in their head different than the people who, like yourself, sought out help and, and got it man- to yeah. a manageable place? Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 when I thought of the question, I'm like, this could be like an impossible question to answer because of that. But I was just trying to like start a conversation to maybe connect with someone listening to this who might be having, you know, playing around with those thoughts in their head. In terms of what they can do to reach out or, or why they should, you know, and why they should acknowledge it and address it, you know, instead of just keep keep suppressing it because to, to me, yeah, I got you. I, I think I know where you're going with it. All right. No, go go ahead though. Finish oh. finish your thought. Well, I always go back to like my idea of toughness and what it was yeah. at the time when I used to play sports and what it is now. And yep. to me, this is me speaking to an athlete who might be having these thoughts. You know, like we talked about the stigma associated with mental illness and all that. But to me, it's a better expression of toughness or, you know, confidence or leadership to, you know, notice that you're not feeling right and something's off and saying that, like, I need help. Like, that's a tougher thing to do than to just, like, go through the motions and suppress your feelings and emotions because of what you think other people might think of you. Because that's usually just, like, you know, a picture you're playing in your head that's probably not even going to be true. So. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, it's interesting. I was reading an article earlier today about a – it was written by a former student athlete at Villanova University. It's, it's amazing. I, just as an aside, I have all these um, Google alerts that I've created, you know, so I get these uh, stories, articles, research in my inbox every day. And um, it, it's sort of a double-edged sword. It's encouraging and discouraging that there are so many stories out there. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's encouraging because people are talking. It's, it's discouraging because some of the things they're describing are the same things I dealt with you know, 20 plus years ago. And, um, well, again, that's one of the reasons the balanced position exists. But um, back to my point, the what people need to realize and, and come to accept is that having a mental illness is not a personality flaw. It is a 
physiological manifestation of, of an illness, just like anything else. It's your brain. I'm not a, I'm not a neurosurgeon, but your brain is, is, is wiring its electricity. It's, uh, um, and, and the, there's its chemistry, and when there's a disruption in that normal flow, um, it's manifest in a, in, a, in a mental illness. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're tough or you're strong or anything like that. It is, hey, when I have a, um, a broken arm, I go to the doctor to get it fixed because I know that's not normal. My bone's not supposed to, <laughs> to poke out of my skin. Same thing with, with, uh, with illnesses and injuries of, of the brain. Um, and uh, I would just encourage them to, to really believe that. I know it's hard when you're in this situation um, because you're not thinking clearly. And, and um, oh, back to my the, the point about this, this former Villanova student athlete made was it was this it's this cycle of negative uh, uh, self-opinion and thinking that spirals and, and, and uh, really makes it difficult to reach out and get help. And we need to interrupt that. That's that negative cycle. And one of the ways we can do it, sharing stories, coming out and saying, speaking the truth, which is this is a this is a physiological response to um, something that your body's experiencing. Yeah, I think that's perfect. And a lot of the people that come on my podcast define toughness as speaking their truth. So I think that's like yeah. a, a perfect segue there. Um, you, yeah. you eventually left Yale, didn't you? I did. I did. And did you ever play sports after that again? I did. I actually finished my um, undergrad career at Carnegie Mellon University, and uh, I played football at, at CMU. And that was a wonderful experience. It really was. Um, it was a uh, – I mean, I, I, I have great things to say about Carnegie Mellon um, for so many reasons, but uh, – it was part me and it was part them. The fact that I was able to be honest about uh, the, the depression that I was battling and the coaching staff and the teachers and everybody associated with that community was able to welcome me in and make me feel like that wasn't um, uh, a personality flaw. And uh, we dealt with it. And uh, as a result, I just I had a tremendous experience there. So what was different? You know, when you when you got there, just like your mindset and like what you were saying to yourself or. Um, yes, uh, I think several things were different. You know, uh, I, I took a little time off, so I was I was a little bit older. Um, I had I had come to grips with um, the fact that um, I was dealing with depression and it was not something that was just going to magically go away. And, uh, um, I was in an environment that was, I think a lot more, um, supportive and, and I don't, you know, I don't really have bad memories of Yale. I mean, Yale was a fantastic place full of great people, uh, but it just wasn't, it wasn't an environment at that time in the early 1990s, whether in athletics or elsewhere that really supported a student athlete that was, um, uh, gripped uh with mental illness so and you're saying that carnegie mellon was it was and it's um, like what did they do I, that made it like that well and again back to the fact that i was able to own that going in right so it was never a situation where i was trying to hide it from coach lackner or anybody else there um 
So I owned it. I made sure it was a topic to address right away. And they, you know, were just super, they were just incredibly supportive. And, um, you know, fortunately throughout my experience at CMU, I was able to manage, uh, my depression well. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any, um, significant events. Um, but even when things were wavering a little bit, I was able to go have candid conversations, uh, with the people that, uh, were in my support network. And, you know, that experience really, that positive experience also was a big factor in, in my decision to launch balance position because I could see, I saw how it could work the right way. Okay, cool. Uh, so what was your transition to life after sports like? Difficult, right? Very difficult. And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about identity. Um, uh, you know, I, I still, by the time I got to CMU, I, I had not developed any um, great hobbies outside of sports. So there's just, especially, and I think it's when you play team sports, um, there's just something that you can never replicate uh, it, throughout your life. Um, I tried the whole, uh, you know, like recreational kickball thing and everything with uh, yeah. my wife and all the other folks in the Pittsburgh Recreational League, whatever it was. I was too competitive for that, so that didn't work out real well. <laughs> um, and it took me a long time to find uh, sort of athletic pursuits that I could do on my own without having, you know, 11 other, 10 other guys around me or eight other guys on the field with me um, and, and enjoy that. So that, that void of, of uh, competitive athleticism, especially around team sports, was, was a huge thing to fill um, when, when sports ended. So you said that you did some things individually. So what were those things that kind of eased the transition for you? You know, I, I got into um, cycling, um, got into just just different kinds of of, uh, of working out um, that that didn't require a bunch of guys cheering each other on, like like team sports or women uh, cheering each other on, for that matter. Right. I found CrossFit after a while that kind of helped my transition. And I always promote uh, athletes trying CrossFit because you kind of do get that kind of team environment in a way. And you're working out and you're sweating. And I think uh, one of my previous guests, Dr. Jared Spencer, he's a sports psychologist, he talked about the importance of sweating. Just like even if you're just going in a sauna, like how that, oh, really? like what that does for your like mental psyche as an athlete. Yeah. Um, so, oh, cool. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, what you said. It kind it's of reminded me of that. It's funny you mentioned CrossFit because um, I'm actually in Minneapolis right now, and uh, I recently reconnected with one of my teammates at baseball teammates at Yale, and um, I'm doing some consulting work with uh, a business that uh, he's the CEO for, and he's a big CrossFit fan, so he's taken me to a, a couple of uh, classes up here um, since I've been coming up and. I've enjoyed it. What I'm what I'm not crazy about with CrossFit is I'm 46 now, so the, the heavy weights, sort of the Olympic movements that that you know where you're pushing a lot of weight around. I, I'm not quite sure I'm good good with that, but I do like the team dynamic thing where you kind of like fist bump with each other and sort of encourage everybody to um, to finish and as a group. Yeah. yeah, I would say you definitely have to check your ego at the door when you get there. If you plan on doing it for any longer, like any extended amount of time, because 
I'm one who did not check my ego at the door and ended up like hurting my knee to the point where like I barely do crosses at all anymore because I was like too much of a meathead going into it, you know? Yeah. Which is part of the reason why it helped me in my transition because it was like something that I could still like push myself and like act all tough, you know? But eventually I came to the realization, (laughs) I'm like, well, the same reason why you almost kill yourself on the football field, Kevin, is the same reason why you hurt your head because you didn't like listen to your body and you like push yourself, you know? To the limit for yeah. what? Yeah. We can't help ourselves, can we? I know. But I, I finally learned a little bit. So. Yeah. I'll give these guys a plug up here. It's uh, they, I don't know if, if other CrossFit gyms have done this, but they've created this thing they call CrossFit X, which is more like um, lightweights, um, more um, circuit kind of training, um, which we've done a couple times, and it's been awesome. So um, a lot more cardio-based. Uh, as opposed to the Olympic movement. Yeah, I think a lot of the gyms do similar things. I know the one in town here, they have like a, a hit class, so high-intensity interval training. Or when I was in yeah. D.C., the gym, the D, the CrossFit gym I went to had like, I forget what they called it. It was like fitness. There's like a fitness class and then like the regular class of the day or something. And like fitness was like the same exact workout, just like lighter weights. But because it was on the okay. board, like people didn't think that they were like scaling down or whatever. So – I got you. It's a mental battle, yeah. mental battle there too. So, yeah, is sure there a way is. that that the balance position app can help athletes uh, transitioning to life after sports, as well as the one who are currently uh, playing? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we've heard recently, and we have a great partner. Um, it's an organization up in Canada called uh, it, we call it SAMI. It stands for it's S A M H I, Student Athlete Mental Health Initiative, and um, uh, the woman up there, it's a great, it's a great organization. I, I, I just say, go out and take a look at them. Um, I wouldn't do them justice trying to say what they do, but they, they said, Hey, what about, what about building some, uh, discipline, some, um, pro some programs into balanced position about encouraging the development of interests and hobbies outside of sport while individuals are still student athletes. So that when that transition takes place, it's a little less of, you know, falling off a cliff. And we love that idea. So that's one of the things we're working on with the app as well. We're going to, part of this guidance, uh, these guided pathways is going to be to encourage each user to explore, you know, more about their their passions outside of sport. Yeah, almost make it like a challenge, you know, like. I'm thinking of like a, a Boy Scout like badge, like you work for like the patch for doing like this thing. Like you, it's kind of yeah, it's a cool idea because then it gives people an option to kind of step out of their comfort zone and try different things. I've said it before on my podcast too. I'm like, I wish when I was in high school that I like joined the school play or tried out for the school play or something like that. But I was too far in my like meathead ways that I'm like, nah, exactly. I'm too tough to do that. Like I'm not doing that. But I'm like that. That was way tougher to do than me going to the weight room after, you know, school every day. So yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I like what you guys are up to. Um, yeah. So just as we wrap up the interview here, where can people, you know, find you guys a uh, balanced position on, uh, the internet, social media, uh, all those channels. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, our website is, uh, balanceposition.com, all one word. And we're on Instagram and Twitter where our handle is, uh, at balance position again, all one word. 
Um, the good news uh, for those folks that might follow us is that I've turned over <laughs> all of the responsibility for managing our social media accounts to uh, members of my team who are much more capable that way. Um, uh, I, I found myself posting pictures of my dog too often, and I don't think people really wanted to see that. So, um, but no, we're, they're doing a great, great work out there. Well, so we have a Facebook page as well. So, um, yeah, and of course, our website is, is where we have the, the stories that other student athletes have shared with us. We, we want to continue to grow that, um, that, that we call it our, our story wall. Uh, so anybody that's listening, if, uh, if you want to share your story through our website, we'd, we'd love to have you, um, do that. So, um, just reach out to us. Yeah. I'll link that all that up in the show notes and I'll also try to highlight some of their stories as well. I think this, I, I mean, I love what you guys are up to, you know, anything that's going to, we've, we've all been to that low point as an athlete at some point in time and to, yeah. for you guys to keep that in check is a pretty awesome thing. So I think it's a, a cool little partnership we have going here. That's awesome. And we'd love to have your story out there, Kevin, if you want to share it. And we, you know, we, we certainly want to link to what you're doing as well. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be honored. Um, so, Vince, I know I kind of alluded to it before uh, in terms of what I think toughness is, but I was wondering if you had your own definition of what toughness is, you know, and how that might have been different from what it used to be. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and, and I kind of harken back to what I said earlier. I, my new definition of toughness is, is being able to be present in the moment um, and respond to the circumstance um, in, the, in the way that it demands without being burdened by the past or the future. And uh, having that non-judgmental um, analysis awareness of what's happening in the here and now, I think to me is, is just the definition of toughness because it's so hard not to prejudice something based on past experience or future fear. And uh, I think the people that are able to do that are, are the toughest. Vince, I love that. That was, that was unique. I like that. Um, I really appreciate you taking time to share your story and to, you know, make this amazing app for athletes to, to utilize and prevent the suffering that we have uh, gone through at some yeah. point in time. And I think, to uh, me, that's what life's all about. If you could prevent others from, from the suffering that, that you've gone through, then you're, you're doing something right. So I, I commend you for that. Likewise, Kevin. Thanks so much. Thanks, man.